astrology. It's not just for chicks, man. I'm going to try to keep this uh, introduction short, uh, at least as short as I can, because it's already a long episode and I don't want to spoil anything about it. I do want to preface this episode, however, by saying that if you've ever experienced uh, high strangeness, then you'll probably be able to relate to quite a bit of what my guest talks about. And if you haven't, well, it's going to get a little weird for you. One concept I do want to clarify because it gets referenced in this podcast uh, from when I was on my guest's podcast. I know podcasts within podcasts. Welcome to 2021. But anyway, the concept in question is levels of woo. Okay, I have a three-tier system for how I how I categorize woo or, you know, the, the paranormal, the, the strange, the un, unofficial, uh, the unscientific, what have you. Uh, you may have seen a certain meme, it's an iceberg meme, where the iceberg corresponds to, the depth of the iceberg corresponds to levels of conspiracy theories, and, you know, the tip of the iceberg is kind of the simple stuff, and then, of course, as you get deeper down, the, the crazier and crazier it gets. My three-tier concept of woo uh, isn't, isn't much different, it's the same basic concept, okay? We got surface woo, and surface woo is, you know, reading your horoscope in a newspaper, uh, it's a lucky rabbit's foot that you you rub sometimes. It's wearing a certain pair of socks when your favorite sports team plays. It's paying five bucks for a middle-aged man with a giant graying skullet to read your tarot cards in Balboa Park. Uh, it's having suspicions about JFK, the moon landing, Roswell, 9-11, uh, you know, the CIA. Maybe you watch Ancient Aliens for fun every now and then. I also think surface woo would cover the relationship most people have with their religion of birth. Okay, you go to mass once a year when your grandma comes to visit on Christmas. Uh, you do your confirmation or your bar mitzvah, um, and then you kind of move on with your life. Uh, do you believe it? Do you not believe it? You don't even know. It's just sort of a sentimental cultural artifact, but you still feel a, a deep compulsion to do it. You know, maybe at most you had like a, a short-lived Wicca phase in high school. That's like the most you you branched out from the from the official religion. Okay, beyond this is what I call the deep woo. This is the second tier of woo. Um, this is where someone starts to take the unofficial and the paranormal seriously. This is where you go to the New Age bookstore or the weirdest sites uh, on the internet because you actually want to dive in a bit. And this can branch off in all sorts of directions. Uh, it's a big club. But this would be stuff like actually wanting to learn about the occult or astrology uh, in a serious way, or Western esotericism, Kabbalah, chaos magic, <laughs> antheogenic theories, uh, you know, some of Terence McKenna's more more far-out ideas, this sort of stuff. It's also the deeper, more elaborate conspiracy theories, you know, secret space programs, MK Ultra mind control, Nazi scientists, uh, secret messages in Kubrick films, uh, remote viewing, alternative history, Federal Reserve, banking cartels, et cetera, et cetera, this, this type of stuff. And then this is where, you know, we get, we get a little deeper than this. This is where it's going to get controversial because somewhere between this second tier of Wu and the last tier of Wu is what I have called on this show before the River Wubacan. And as I've mentioned, you need to be able to cross the River Wubacan and come back in order to be a true brain origami master because not everyone does. Okay, on this third on this third level of woo, uh, I, I call the third level of woo I call drowned woo, and this is where you know some people cross the river Wubacan, they don't come back, they 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 lose their way and they drown. Drowned woo is when you fully commit to what the majority of your peers would consider crazy, not just weird, not just a little eccentric, I mean crazy. 
because if surface woo is kind of just for funsies it's like the kind of official woo more or less or the the woo that is just generally tolerated by society um, doesn't really offend most people too much um, and then if deep woo is maybe the more serious level of woo the more committed level of woo but with deep woo you can usually make a coherent argument about it and i do want to clarify i don't i don't mean you necessarily can make a good argument about it i just mean you can make an, a coherent argument you can there's a causal line in the argument you're making there's an a b and c drowned woo is where it starts to get pretty incoherent drowned woo is when you are more or less living in an alternate reality okay either you are part of the small red-pilled elect or you were fucking crazy. There's really <laughs> drowned woos when there's really not much middle ground left. This is to say the deeper you get, the higher the wager goes, so to speak. The heavier the ontological weight of the conspiracy becomes. Or to put it simply, the bigger your theory, the faster it sinks. So flat earthers, I think most people would agree, are a good example of drowned woo. Because flat earth isn't just an argument about why you think water can't stick to a rotating ball, right? It's not this like detached, you know, <laughs> A purely empirical argument. No, it's a whole worldview because you have to explain why no official institution agrees with you, right? You have to you have to keep adding to the conspiracy. It just has to get bigger and bigger because of the the size of the of the implication. I think this is a useful way to think about weird ideas and stuff that's kind of normally out of your wheelhouse. And I mean, you know, the capital W weird stuff. Anyway. My guest this week is a man who is no stranger to the woo. He's someone who has crossed that Wubicon and come back with a lot of insight, I might add. Also, if you ever wanted to know about my birth chart, okay, if you want to know about the, the stars and the planets that drive me, uh, we get into that as well. And I think we had a lot of fun doing it. So stick around. again to schizotopia the official podcast of schizotopia.net as always i'm your host maxwell cody and joining me today the astro chad himself the keeper of the cosmic keys and just all around chill dude dan the man dan how are you i'm good how are you i'm doing good bro let's start off let's start off with a softball let's start off with an easy one what even is astrology what happened did the when i was born did the stars tickle my little baby body and um possibly inappropriately and make me into the screwed up adult <laughs> that i am today what happened <clears throat> i was thinking about this question a little bit today so basically astrology is just kind of a, a good way to chart the passage of time to interpret the passage of time um it's basically like so the astrology that i practice is western astrology 
there's different types of astrologies for different cultures, like the the Chinese zodiac is different than the Western zodiac. Um, so astrology in general is just the the study of the movement of the celestial bodies. Um, it mostly started off, you know, most forms of astrology are based on constellations and the movement of the visible planets. And it's basically, you know, I don't even know how to answer that question because I, I practice astrology. I live astrology okay. and I'm trying to figure that out myself. But well, it, it kind of sounds like the, the way you're describing astrology, um, you, you, you're kind of a, you're, you're describing it in a way that's similar to what we would now just call astronomy. But back in the old days, you know, the astrology of, you know, one's personal fate, the kind of religious or spiritual aspect of it was tied in with, you know, just tracking the stars and understanding the movements of the planets and stars. Uh, when most people today think about astrology, or at least why they're interested in it is that it's not purely astronomical. They're, they're interested in it as a form of divination. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you're totally right. It started off as astronomy, you know, the, the astrology that we practice in the West pretty much has its origins in Babylon. Um, it's, it's kind of a blending of Babylonian astrology, Egyptian astrology, and then kind of Hellenistic, like Greek um, geometry in a way. And all of this came together in Alexandria, kind of in the time around the, you know, the time of Christ, or I don't even know what you call that, but like the, the first century BC, and then the second or the the centuries around, you know, the BC AD um, threshold. So that's kind of when all of this came together. And yeah, you know, it was science in the beginning when astrologers were practicing it and everything. And, the, you know, their worldview, from my understanding, they saw divination and sort of the entire interconnected cosmos as a, a divine thing. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not as much of an expert on the origins of astrology and stuff like that, but um, later on, it did become more of kind of a woo-woo thing or a predictive thing. And it's, it definitely is kind of omens, like what you said. It, it's like omens and divination, and there's a million different ways to apply astrology. So it, it's a big, it's a big thing to kind of try to describe, I guess. Uh, as big as the night sky. So let me ask you this. How did you get, how did you personally get into astrology? What astral pilled you? When, when did you start saying, you know what, I think there is something to this ancient art. I, I think there's something in it for me. So it's kind of interesting. I consider myself a spiritual person and someone that's interested in the occult in general. And to explain how I got into astrology, I'd probably have to explain just my spiritual awakening and what happened to me that kind of led me into esotericism, which ultimately led me into astrology. So I was always kind of like a spiritual person. I was raised Catholic when I grew up, um, always felt, you know, the woo energies, always felt kind of the psychic vibes and stuff like that. So I was always, and, and from a young age, I was always into psychedelics. So I always had a spiritual worldview from, from the beginning. So that was never I was, I, I'm very skeptical of everything and I, but I'm, I've never really been like a scientific materialist or anything like that, or an atheist. Basically when I was in college, I had a really um, traumatic snowboarding accident where I broke three vertebrae in my neck 
and then subsequently like had surgery, had all, it was kind of like a near death experience, but I didn't blast off, but it was one of those experiences where it changes everything. And then after you, after you go through it, you are searching for answers and you have a different perspective on kind of how valuable life is and how sacred it is. So that was all going on at the time I was um, in college, but also during the time I was in college, after that accident, there was this like PTSD stuff going on. So I was really depressed and really kind of physically in a lot of chronic pain. I was studying for exams and stuff, pulling all-nighters, taking Adderall. Like I was young, so it wasn't that bad, but I was dealing with like PTSD and chronic pain and stuff like that. And then my super senior year um, or super senior semester, I guess, I got, it's kind of a funny story. I, I hit like rock bottom after going to a music festival. I did a bunch of ecstasy and had one of those like serotonin drops. And then afterwards I was like, I, I need to like dig myself out of this hole. I need to like, I'm Googling self-help books. I got into self-help books and stuff like that. And this was right before that final semester of college. And then when I went back to college, I I, I remember when I was in the hospital with that injury, a nurse said to me like, hey, this is going to be really painful for you. It's You're going to have chronic pain. It's going to suck. I had a back injury myself. The only thing that ever helped was yoga. So when I, when I was going back to that final semester, I did the first, I did the free week of yoga and kind of just had, I kind of like with the self-help books and then doing yoga for the first time it not only kind of healed my chronic pain, but it kind of gave me like a mild, like Kundalini awakening. So I was just like, I had basically what I would call a spiritual awakening at that point, which was like healing, quote unquote, healing myself from that trauma and then just opening myself up to more spiritual stuff through how, yoga. How, how old were you at this point? I was uh, 23. I just turned 23. It was in, in this, it was in the fall of 2010. So, cause I took a semester, I basically took a semester off to go home and in my neck brace and like right. <laughs> popped a bunch of pills and stuff. And then it was like catching up. And um, so, so yeah, I was 23 at the time. And to, to bring it back to like how it, this got me into astrology, basically this book that I got my hands on at that time through synchronicity, through intuition, I woke up one day and was like, I need to go to the occult bookstore. I need to go to the occult bookstore. And, you know, I was like, I was almost like, I wouldn't say manic, but I was like, you know, what you picture, like the new agey people that are just so high on life, like just from doing yoga for the first time and, and aligning <laughs> yeah. my spine and like healing the, the chronic pain. So I was just high on life and I wandered in the occult bookstore and the book that I bought that I went straight to and flipped open and knew it was the right book was the secret teaching of all ages by Manly, oh, Manly P. P. Hall. Oh, yeah. So like, I just like burned through that book and that book isn't specifically about astrology, but that about everything. Was just, that it's was about everything. Say, that's a, that's a big, you picked the biggest intro you could. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy because I was, I had, I have a that, degree. That was, that was the snowboarder in you. You were like, I'm going to go for the biggest mountain. in here. <laughs> Dude, I don't even know what, like, I've never had an experience like that, but basically like, I got the book and just burned through it. And I wasn't, I was an English major, but I was not a good reader. I would read the cliff notes of the books a lot and write papers based on like cliff notes. Like I was a slow reader. I never read for pleasure, but this book I was like addicted to. And I would like, just like go to the library and read that when I had 
homework and stuff to do for school. Um, so that like opened the doors to a lot of different stuff and astrology was in there. And then eventually I went through a lot of ups and downs after that. I traveled, I moved around. I ended up in new Orleans where I had like more intense kind of scary occult experiences. And then when I returned home to Chicago, Oh, hold, like, hold on, hold on. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, I, I would like to hear a little bit about one of the scary experiences, if that's all right. Yeah, totally. Like I, so, so after, like, I guess to make it chron- chronological, I was reading the secret teaching of all ages in my super senior year, finishing up my economics degree. I had a double major in econ and English and was having, and that like, after going so high, finishing the book and like, you know, doing yoga and just being like so high, I kind of like started failing my econ classes and then I like slammed down and had like went back to the depression and had like a hard time. And, you know, one thing led to another and I, and the economy was really bad. So from there I went to a a psychiatrist at the school and kind of processed all the trauma of the spiritual stuff and the, the traumatic like injury stuff, all the, all the baggage was being processed at the time. And because of that, I basically came to the conclusion, like, I have to be an artist. Like th- this, the therapist was like, how do you view yourself? And I was like, as an artist. And it was this like really dramatic, intense revelation. But, you know, when I was at this like vulnerable point, I was just like, I'm going to be an artist. And at the time I was like, I'm going to be a fiction writer. So because the economy was in such bad shape, because I was trying to get into real estate at the time, even my family was kind of like, kind of gave me their blessing. They're like, dude, when you come home, there's no job waiting for you. There's nothing. All my friends were unemployed at the time. They were like, just travel or something, go do something. So I moved to Breckenridge for a winter, did like a ski bum thing, moved to um, Wyoming and lived in uh, Grand Teton National Park for a summer working there. And then I met a friend who was also an English major. And I came up with this like you know, we were like best friends. And I was like, he was an English major. I was, and I'm like, and he was from Louisiana and I had no plan for after that summer. Cause it was a seasonal job. So he was kind of like, yeah, just move in with move, move down there with me. And, um, in my head, I was like, yeah, man, we're going to be like bohemians down there in new Orleans. Like I'm going to be doing my thing. I'm going to be an artist, man. <laughs> and <laughs> so I moved down there and I, I was, I had all this like spiritual stuff in my, in the back of my head and new Orleans is just like a soup of good and bad juju, basically lots of paranormal stuff, lots of occult stuff, voodoo. Like, um, there's like, I, I even remember kind of discovering, um, what is it like the OTO? I didn't go to the OTO, but it's like all of that was down there. And um, to answer your original question about a scary story. So one time I um, I was basically messing with voodoo at the time um, and with the goal, <laughs> with the goal of like being an artist. So I was like, hmm, Isn't I can that use like the number one thing you don't mess with. It probably, but like at the time I, I, I was, I was just drawn to it. And in, in my head at the time, especially I was very like, I was living in the seventh ward and I was like the only white, we were like the only white guys in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and post-college, I was just very like racism sucks. Like if you don't like voodoo, you're racist <laughs> basically was kind of, I mean, it's kind oh, of, you, wait, you, like you decided that you were so, oh, hold on. You're telling me that you were you you got so woke that you decided that it would be problematic not to do voodoo. 
It, it, I wouldn't go that far, but like, I, <laughs> that's kind of what it sounds like. But it would, but my my naivete in the reality of it, like, like in my head, um, this is amazing. The scary side of voodoo is real and it is scary. Um, but in general, it's kind of just a nature based, like spiritual tradition based out of West Africa. And I, I don't think voodoo is itself is inherently evil at all. You can use any type of occultism to do evil things or good things or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the, the scary experiences I had with it were like some, some of the direct stuff related to voodoo wasn't evil, but when the veil is actually lifted you it's so traumatizing that it feels scary but but like yeah i mean i thought i thought that like if you automatically i I was just interested in magic and the occult and wanted to try stuff out and i could just feel the supernatural reality of that city so i wanted to experiment with it and it wasn't like i was like i wasn't really woke I, i just was legitimately interested in it and um i thought that like if if you're automatically scared of indigenous occultism when you're into the the larger occultism in general i thought that might be based in racism and i was like i'm not afraid of this i don't think it's savage or whatever so i was (laughs) i was just like doing it you know and um i had a couple experiences with it but and some of them weren't even some of the paranormal things that happened weren't even directly related to me doing voodoo. Sometimes paranormal stuff, fucked up stuff would happen. And I would go to the voodoo store to um, find a remedy or whatever. And so the f- basically <laughs> the other thing is my friend who I was living with, it turned out he he was like a kind of a mad genius. And in my head, I was like, this, we're, we're so bohemian. We're like these two English majors and we're just like, you know, like partying, ripping cigarettes. I'm trying to write like a New Yorker short story. Bohemian. Yeah. So, um, and, and we were like living, we were living in a neighborhood that was like mostly empty still from Katrina in a way. So like, um, it was like, and, and it it was getting gentrified too. Let me ask you this real quick. What were you were going to? You said you were going to a voodoo store. What were the people at the voodoo store like? You're going in there repeatedly and being like, "Oh, I think I messed up. Can you guys sell me something to to help me fix this?" Were they like maybe rolling their eyes at you, or were they were they welcoming? What was that like? No, it, it's it's actually interesting. It was kind of um, the the practitioner who like ran the store was actually not even a black person. It was she was like she was actually like trained in Haiti and whatever and like initiated, but she was just like a white person and they had this, and I don't want to like knock her, her or like the, the store or anything, but this was like post Katrina and there's this neighborhood, the Bywater that had this big kind of newly built building called the, the healing center. And they had like yoga studios and like a food co-op and it was, um, and then this little voodoo store and, and, she was actually like Joan Rivers, like spiritual, like um, go to. She, she, it was, it was really. It's like typical New Orleans, like really funky vibes, and and co- it was cool. So huh. it, it's just basically like a. It was a botanica, so they sell you know candles, okay. trinkets, um, books, and stuff like that, and they they can give you readings. I got a psychic reading at that store. 
So I had like explored it a little. It's just like exploring like a new age bookshop, but it's a little bit more. um, A little little edgier, a little little more. Not even edgier. It's just a little bit more like Caribbean feeling, honestly. Uh, It's it's, like if you ever go to like, and and it's funny because after that, I would always go to like, um, like uh, Latin or not even Latin, like Hispanic botanicas because those are all over the place too. And you just don't notice them, but like candle shops, you know, and, and so, um, that was in this place called the healing center. And I, you know, I was just like exploring and I I wanted to write a story about like post Katrina, New Orleans and Mm -hmm. stuff. And, um, for a while I was like, when I moved home to Chicago after not even a year of living in New Orleans, like I spent like two years trying to write fiction for a while. And then I kind of drifted from that more into like songwriting and visual art and other stuff. But, but, you know, to go back to my original thing in college, I was really, really just like traumatized and like shaken by, um, the neck, the neck breaking and spiritually just like so thirsty for, um, for real life, like occult, real life like esoteric occult mystical experience and i was just dipping my toe into whatever i could find but when when did things get scary right so the scary stuff basically (laughs) so the first like i remember i just had really really intense dreams at a certain point and that were um voodoo ish before i even knew anything about voodoo i was having voodoo dreams and it really when i woke up i was like I was just in the astral realm and that was fucking intense. And so I remember like New Orleans has like the above ground uh, cemeteries with like the coffin, not even coffins, but like they're like above ground cemeteries. And I remember I just had these crazy dreams. One, I had this dream one time where I was there and it was like a flooded cemetery. And I heard these African drums like getting louder and louder. And I saw all these like um, kind of like, witchy like not literally voodoo dolls but like there was just that kind of black magic vibe and that shit was like when i woke up i was like this three this meat space is less real than where i just was and then the person who i was living with who's the english major still a good good friend of mine and kind of a kindred spirit a good soul for sure but he had a lot of um he he told me years later that he was bipolar so he had a lot of baggage. He was, he was a very extreme person to live with, very messy, kind of getting hoarder style. And so there, and there was growing tension between me and him. We were living in this like half abandoned neighborhood as the only white guys there. I was working at a hotel. He was working in the French quarter and he was kind of on a downward spiral. And he actually, <laughs> I hope he doesn't hear this, like mad respect to, to my friend. If he does, he knows there's no hate, but, um, he was, he's, this is what I'm saying. He's like a mad genius. He was going to university of new Orleans to get his, to get a graduate degree. And so he was like spiraling out of control thinking he was going to fail. Like he was talking about suicide. Um, the house was really disgusting and dirty because he was getting to like hoarder status. So my living environment with him in, as an individual, plus like the residual, like, I don't want to say like post Katrina vibes, but like you know, it was just like a very intense living situation. And I remember one day I came, came home and this is, this is kind of like a good, scary story. I, it was, it was not the first time I had seen like a huge cockroach in new Orleans. Cause it's the South. You're basically living in the swamp, but I walked in and then I walked into the house and there was just, it was like crackling with like negative energy. 
And I was just like, oh, what the fuck? Like, this is where I live. Like, what the hell? And I just felt like a presence in the house. And I see this huge cockroach on the wall. And I'm just like, you know, I took the shoe and I was like ready to, uh, I was just like, I, I was going to kill this cockroach um, and just kind of like express all my rage and anger at it and just kill it. And like, so I like smashed it and smeared the guts on the wall. And then um, I went into the, to my side of the house, which I was keeping clean. And I, at the time was just learning guitar for the first time. So I started strumming the guitar and then I just like hear noises. It sounded like a very light noise. And I just felt this like very creepy feeling like I was being watched. Like there was something fucking really evil or negative in there. And so I'm like trying to focus on playing the guitar, but I keep hearing these like little noises. And it was like, it was like if you dropped like popcorn on a table, like, like you can hear it, but it's, you can tell it's very light and not causing a racket by any means. And then I like turn around and then I see another, like, I see like two cockroaches with their like asses stuck together. And then I turn my head and I see another cockroach on the wall. And then I look up on the ceiling, there's another cockroach on the wall. And like, as I was looking around, it was like, no, 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 no. And it was very poltergeisty, like Amityville horror. And, um, I just, I got the sense that like, there was this entity, like laughing at me, like laughing at how scared I was getting, laughing at all my misery. And it was just like, it was just like this menacing, like negative, negative energy. And so I was just running around trying to like kill as many of them as I could. And then I would just see him like literally crawling out from like under the couch and stuff. And so my house was suddenly like infested with these huge cockroaches. And I just remember it was like this fight or flight response. And I was just like, fuck this, I'm out of here. And I literally ran to my car and like drove away. Didn't even know where I was going to go. I ended up staying at a friend's house that night. So that at that point, that's like the next day where I went to the voodoo shop and was like, hey, I think there's something really negative in this house. This shit is like an Amityville horror. Um, and they were like, yeah, definitely. Um, they told me to to buy some Florida water, which is like this, um, it's kind of like an, a, a witchy, um, occulty, like subs. It's like this fragrant. Uh, it Florida water really- sounds sketchy. I guess because anything Florida sounds sketchy to me. But so it's well, yeah, <laughs> Florida I, water. I, I feel that. But it's actually, it's really just like you can buy it on Amazon for like five bucks and it just smells really clean and pure. It has this fragrance that's really strong and it's, you have to smell it to understand it but they're like clean the house mop your floor blah 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 and like clear the energy so this was like the first time i was trying to kind of like do an almost like an exorcism of the house and i basically did that i went i went there and i i think there were like 11 or 12 dead cockroaches that i just like you know swept up threw them out took the floor to water um and i like scrubbed the floor and stuff and then um i had all these candles and stuff i was trying to just like purify the house sort of and then I had everything in this trash bag and I was just like, oh, okay. Like, um, I think everything's good, but there's just like, I need to like throw this trash bag out, actually get it out of the house. So I did that. And then I was, I was keeping a journal at the time, you know, like English major journaling, blah, blah, blah. And then I remember I was writing in the journal, just like writing about the experience, how negative and real that kind of like poltergeisty Amityville horror thing felt at the time. I was writing and I was like, blah, 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 blah. Maybe all of this happened for a reason. And when I finished typing reason, like the fire alarm just goes and like went off on its own. So there's just like all this like weird paranormal synchronistic shit happening. That was like, that was more, that was one of the um, scarier things. And then the I think after that, you know, I was, like I said, I was just like 
digging into voodoo and try, and trying things out. And I, I had this thing made for me called the Grigri bag, which is basically like a mojo bag. And I was like, <laughs> to, the, to the voodoo lady, I was like, yeah, I'm just trying to be really creative. Like I'm trying to get creative inspiration, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, okay. And then she was like, give me some of your toenails or give me like, she like cut my toenail and cut some of my hair and was like, okay, I, I'll get back to you in like a week. This needs to cook. And I was like, oh, cook. Okay. It was a really synchronistic day when it happened. Um, she called me back a week later when I was on my day off and I was just kind of slowly on that day getting into like a trance. And I remember I was just kind of driving around the city aimlessly. It was very like at the time I was, I don't know what the fuck I was doing with my life. I was just trying to be an artist, trying to be bohemian. And I remember she was like, your, your Grigri bag's ready. And then I remember like, I saw like these dark clouds in the distance and then I was driving and I was like, oh, I have to go that way. And like the dark clouds are basically near the voodoo shop. And then when I pulled up, it was like lightning strike. And then I go inside and it's like dark outside. And they're like, here you go. At at any point where you're like, maybe this means I shouldn't take the Grigri bag. Kind of, but I mean, I I paid for it. And and then the gods come down, the gods come down from heaven to tell you don't take it. And you're like, no, I sank 40 bucks into this. I need my Grigri bag. Yeah. So, so then I like, you know, she was like, have fun with your creative, creative projects. And there was like lightning strike. And I was like, okay, thanks. And then I get in the car and then it just starts downpouring. And I remember the radio was turning the music off and being like, no, no, uh, boat activity on the Gulf allowed, like blah, 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 thunderstorm. And at this point I was this is kind of what made the voodoo work. I was kind of just like putting myself into a trance because I think all of this is kind of like shamanic trance stuff. And so I had the intuition to go to this, to, to just drive. I was, I was just in this like tranced out, like, I just need to drive, man. I need to like get out of the city. So I drove all the way to the Gulf Coast that day with this thing, with this Grigri bag, which was like a little pouch with herbs and stuff in it. And apparently my hair and toenails and so then I went all the way down there and was just kind of wandering and daydreaming and just like really like wanderlust tranced out. I saw the Gulf of Mexico. I went to this place that was called Grand Isle, which is like way down there. It was just kind of like out of it, I would say. But it, it was like, uh, I was like, it was kind of like a high in a weird way. And then, and then weirdly, I, I'm a huge Game of Thrones person. So then on my way back to New Orleans, a friend who I ha- hadn't talked to in a really long time, who was like a good guy who let me crash with him when I first moved there, was like, hey, Dan, why don't you come over and hang out and we'll smoke some weed? So I went, smoked some weed and watched Game of Thrones for the first time, which to me for like a show that had such a weird effect on me seems very significant because I was like, you know, I'm into the deep woo. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I have weird past life experience with like the Game of Thrones eras in in human human history yeah i will say this really quick game of thrones has a lot of a lot of the storylines and a lot of the characters and a lot of the things that happen in it even though it's you know a fantasy story it it all came from uh george R. r martin's like depression history tunnel like he 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 got depressed because one of his books failed and then he just started studying history nonstop. Um, and then that eventually in, inspired Game of Thrones. So lots of things in Game of Thrones are actually based on real events. A lot, a, a, a lot of the things are. So there's a lot of real history like woven into Game of Thrones. Yeah. And, and you know, that's, sh- I don't know, that's that show just like pulls at my heartstrings. Not the most recent, like not the final seasons by any means, but like yeah. 
when I first discovered that, it felt so resonant and me with my woo-woo perspective, like I feel like there's some past life experience with like the medieval or like, you yeah. know, whatever, those those really olden times. So you, that felt you, really did significant. You listen, did you listen to the Game of Thrones special for this podcast? I I I've I saw the title and I need to get around to listening to that. Oh, I just thought I just thought you get a kick out of it. Yeah. yeah, I haven't thought about the show in a, a minute. But at the time, you know, I was like, I was like that day that I got the Grigri bag. That was the first day I discovered Game of Thrones, so that was sig- personally significant. Anyways, I smoked a bunch of weed there, get in the car, and I'm like, oh shit, I just forgot. Like, I because I was just grounded at the time hanging out with a buddy then i got back in my car i'm like oh shit i just like did like got a voodoo charm and like drove to the gulf like randomly like what am i doing oh yeah i'm like dealing with this like magical reality and i was stoned too so i'm in the car and i'm listening to like the the local kind of like npr which plays like jazzy music and the jazz song that came on when i got in the car was this like creepy spooky like old timey like 1920s jazz song like like a bit like a spooky bass line like ding 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 and i was like again falling back into that trance and so i'm driving home with this grigri bag in the front seat and i'm like falling kind of into a musical trance listening to this creepy jazz song and it just kept getting more intense and i i was just like I don't know how voodoo works. I don't know how magic works, but I'm just like, this thing I'm holding is apparently magical. So I'm like tossing it in my hand and like bouncing it up and down and like feeling it in my fingers. And it starts getting like really warm. And I'm just like getting deeper into the the musical trance, like ding, ding, ding. And the thing in my hand started feeling really, really hot. And in my like mind's eye, as I'm driving and like dancing, I just see this like skull character with like a top hat and he's like a cartoon skull and he just starts like dancing like the jangly like bones dance and i'm like whoa what the fuck and i'm like seeing a vision of this like sunglasses top hat jangly skull man i just call him skull man it, it was just really really intense and i'm seeing this and holding this and just feeling this kind of like ecstatic kind of voodoo feeling and then i turn the corner and then like one by one all the street lights are just like and they literally, as I turn the corner, as I'm peeking with this like voodoo trance, all the streetlights one by one just like explode in like a huge flash, like one, two, three. And there's, it's like boulevards in New Orleans. So as I'm looking forward, it's like, and it's flashing kind of in rhythm to the music. And the flashes of the electricity were just straight up purple. Never like, I know... I know I'm like, I don't think I was hallucinating it, but literally they're like getting taken out by Palpatine lightning. It, yeah. It, it was just like vivid purple hue flashing in the sky. I've never seen like lightning do that. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah. And that's like, that's how it works in new Orleans is, is the electricity fucks with you. Like things will just like flash at you or you, you just feel a presence all around you in the ethers and then the electricity just like fucks around. So I basically like with this Grigri bag in my hand had like a vision of this skull character with sunglasses and a top hat, like jangly dancing to jazz music. And then like this like electrical anomaly that made, it wasn't just like around the street lights. It was like the entire sky was just flashing like psychedelic purple. And I remember, and this is an abandoned, like no one, like this isn't like abandoned Katrina 
neighborhood, you know? And I remember I passed one dude on his bike and he looked scared as fuck. Like his eyes were like popping out of his face, just like looked <laughs> terrified. And then I, I remember I got home and I was like, I'm not going crazy. I'm not going crazy. And I looked at like an electrical outage map and confirmed that like a, there was like a power outage at that very moment. But it's it really was like a moment where it felt like the veil was lifted. And I don't know when you mess when you like mess with the occult and stuff and then really like and, and none of none of that was like evil or none of it was like threatening. It was just like re- so real that I was so terrified. So that was actually really traumatic. And I mean, it I started a little threatening. Yeah, well, yeah, it kind of sounds like New Orleans was like, okay, white boy, you wanted some voodoo? Here you go. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it was like really, it was like traumatizing. Um, And I remember like, I just, it it felt like the veil had been lifted. And when the veil is really lifted, you know, people that mess with magical or esoteric things maybe want it, maybe like the idea of the spirit world being real. And maybe they like the idea of like, Ooh, maybe something will happen. Let's find out. But when it really happens and it shatters your, the remain, like it, it, it shatters your materialist worldview and it's not pretty. And, um, and I had all this remorse and it's funny. Like I, 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 I had like Christian programming deep in my past, you know? So then at a certain point, I came to the conclusion, like, all of this is evil. I'm going to hell. This is the devil. I need to get rid of this all and renounce it. I, I literally took my copy of the secret teaching of all ages, all my crystals, all the, my like tarot deck, all the, all the shit, put it in like a pillowcase and went to Bayou St. John and threw it in the river and was like, I'm done. I renounce this. <laughs> like, wow. And so it, I was like really scared by that. And All right. um, well then at the time, maybe now you're saying it didn't feel that dark or that scary, but at the time sounds like you were, you felt pretty threatened. Oh yeah. And it, but it was more just like the, it was more, I didn't really realize basically at the time I was confronting my Christian worldview that, that I wasn't actively working with or actively thinking about, but it was there and it was fear. It was just pure fear. It was like the spirit world is real. This is demonic. And like, if it's not angels with harps, it's basically demonic. And I'm going to go to hell for doing this. So I better like make up for it and just renounce this. And, you know, I was, I was like going insane, basically. (laughs) Like I was in new Orleans living with a bipolar person who was also going insane and also suicidal. (laughs) And I was messing with the, with real life occult stuff and the real occult stuff revealed itself to me as being real. And I was shattered by it. So to, to really bring the story around, like by the time, by the time I moved back to Chicago, like for the next year, I was like still processing all of that for a really long time, but I was like, you know, I would go, back and forth between like, I can't do anything occult or esoteric, or I should talk to a psychic or something. And I remember in Chicago, I was like on Yelp looking for like a psychic and there was just an astrologer. And I was like, I'm going to do this astrology reading. And I basically went to him (laughs) and he told me like, he, he started just like vaguely telling me about my chart. And he, and, and in the back of my head, I was like, I really want to tell him about like how I'm kind of traumatized by the occult and all this stuff. He's, and he, he basically, without me saying anything was saying like, 
you are very prone to work with energies and like work with like dark energies or like perceived dark energy, like the, the scorpionic, like subconscious stuff. And he's like, you know, and you working with energies is basically magic. Like you are kind of, your chart is saying you um, should maybe are prone to be working with occultism. And I'm like, funny, you mentioned that. Like, and then I basically like told him all about that. So the way I got into astrology was at this time of my life where I was like, shattered and basically like I was literally shattered from breaking my neck, literally still healing my, my psychological, spiritual and physical trauma. And then all the other trauma that happened when I started fucking with the occult in new Orleans was like, I was trying to like put myself back together and astrology was like the thing that stuck throughout all of it. And then I basically like, I saw this astrologer in Chicago for like three years in a row, just kind of once a year. And over a long span of time, just was kind of like studying it myself. And then I was just kind of following it myself. And then I just kind of learned astrology by like following it, by listening to podcasts that would give astrological forecasts, by downloading the apps that I would learn my chart through. And, you know, I, I, um, I still have like a very magical worldview, but I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't like, and I, I even like in certain ways, I still kind of mess with like ritualism or like just like timing of things or like intention i'm still super woo but you know from this period of my life from like the spiritual awakening when i was 23 to basically like 25 or basically to like my saturn return i was slowly like getting over my fear of spiritual realities because for a Mm -hmm. while i thought everything was demons everything was coming to get me you know i was a scared um, so it was really, it was like through, through trauma, the spirit world kind of revealed itself to me and like astrology just kind of stuck because I, I'm sort of, I have sort of an aptitude for it and I'm not like obsessed with it. I'm, I, didn't, I didn't like consciously do it. It just stuck because I'm kind of a natural with it. So it's funny because it's like Christianity comes along uh, two millennia ago and it just it just radically simplifies the religious and philosophical landscape of europe and western culture and you know daemons which in the ancient world were considered to be sort of like neutral forces they they were just forces that could travel back and forth between the mundane world and the the world of the gods or something um you know those slowly become demons they must all be evil and it's like there's only there's only good there's only evil there's nothing in the middle right and but then what's funny is like in the bible itself the way angels are depicted are scary and weird right like people love mm-hmm. to talk about how ezekiel sees this um you know angel made out of wheels and the wheels have eyes and it's this like terrifying almost machinic thing that it's looking at and it's similar to what people see in psychedelic trips um you know the angel in isaiah puts a you know a burning hot it has like multiple wings and it comes down and it puts a burning hot coal into isaiah's mouth you know there's the angel who appears just as a normal man and attacks um isaac in the bible and it's it's funny because the Christianity that we have, even like you were saying, if it's not just, you know, nice winged angels with harps, even the Christianity we have now is like simplified and sanitized. So you know, anything having to do with the spiritual in our culture has become so polished that anytime you go even just an inch outside of it, it seems like it's just too crazy to to uh, be anything good. Yeah, totally. And I should mention like my, the, the Christianity that I was a part of was Catholicism. And, um, there's, 
super supernatural and mystical elements within Catholicism yeah. that I would brush up against. But because like, I, I don't know, I, I'm kind of realizing I'm just like kind of psychic and um, I pick up on shit. So like all of that stuff, like I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, with, with Catholicism, a lot of women are really into the supernatural stuff. Like I'm, mm-hmm. um, family friends or even people in my own family would be like, Oh, there was like a miracle at this cemetery with this statue or whatever. Mm-hmm. And even in Catholic, I went to Catholic school. They're like, there's this happening with the Virgin Mary statue, like um, crying blood or something like all these like weird miracles and stuff. Like I felt that. And I always felt like it was about to pop into my life. And I remember I was like, please don't have the Virgin Mary appear to me when I'm falling asleep. <laughs> I was like, I just do not, I'm not ready for a full blown, like mystical I, le- legitimately. I was like, I don't want this. I, I can't handle this right now. Cause I, I could just feel it was right at the edge of like right at my doorstep. Um, but like, and yeah, and, yeah, and it, and even just like hell, hell in heaven and all that stuff. Like I felt like I could, I could feel those realities in a way and was just like, it's just always it's, there. Yeah. And with, at least with Catholicism, what's, what's funny and what's interesting to me about Catholicism is clearly like the Virgin Mary was just absorbing all of these other goddesses. So you have like, you know, the lady of the lake or you have, you know, the Virgin Mary who appears next to this pond or next to this river who becomes, you know, the patron of a uh, star of the sea, you know, patron of sailors. And it's like, clearly like the Virgin Mary is just being expanded to fit all of these older goddesses and, and spirits and stuff inside of it and so in a way catholicism actually just kind of preserves the old lore but it's just that in western religion we, we feel compelled to lie about it like in japan there's you know shintoism the old indigenous religion and there's buddhism and they synchronized and nobody in japan feels the need to lie about it they, they no one needs to like make um shintoism fit inside of buddhism perfectly they just sort of coexist mm-hmm. and in the west because you had the kind of puritanical monotheism thing it's like no this can't be a, a, a river goddess who coexists with christianity it just either has to be the virgin mary or it has to be a demon <laughs> that's it those are your only two choices it's kind of what i meant by it. It, it simplified everything a little too much and it, it's funny you bring that up because that's so true a but b like that was i fully grasp that in new orleans because mm-hmm. voodoo uses catholic or catholic saint right. imagery right. so like you would see in storefronts all these statues with like all these trinkets and shit i'm like ooh, what the, i, I want to know about that like yeah. I, I had the catholic imagery deep in my programming and, you know, there would be like the Black Madonna was like this African river deity or like this mermaid right. from Africa. And that's what was so cool about New Orleans is like the and, and it says a lot about Protestantism versus Catholicism. Yeah. Like the Fre- it, New Orleans is a French colony. So the French as Catholics allowed the African slaves to kind of maintain their culture and the African slaves just would use catholic icons to continue worshiping the the demonic for the demonic gods and ancestors that they literally brought from africa and like when i say like i kind of like really experienced the spirit world like i felt that shit like i felt that whatever i was interacting with was super old super powerful and not even like it was not indigenous almost to the to the americas like and it's, but it was real and it was like right in my face and i was like well with the no. the black madonna obviously became meaningful to a lot of um you know black african slaves because it's a virgin mary who is black um but mm-hmm. what's interesting about the black madonna is um she's our lady of the grotto in france i can't remember the name of the church but the like the 
uh, grotto or the basin, basically, that this church was built over inside of it, uh, in, inside that um, subterranean grotto, that's where they put the, I believe, the first Black Madonna or one of the first Black Madonnas. And it was built over a Druid ritual site. It was like mm-hmm. built over where the Druids used to meet because there were lots of Druids and Celts who lived in Northern France and all over the place, right? They weren't just in Ireland. So like the Black Madonna even was probably just some old Celtic people who were still worshiping the old goddess um, and goddesses who they associated with, you know, water and grottos. And, you know, when the Catholics would be like, hey, what, what are you guys doing? They'd be like, oh, we're just we're worshiping the Virgin Mary, right? Like if they've just, they've just put that on top, right? Yeah, I'll, I mean, all of it. And even so, and even like with that experience I had of the, the skull man with the sunglasses and the top hat, like that, and with the color purple too, like yeah. that was like, I didn't know anything. Maybe subconsciously I had seen that imagery before. Like even in the movie, um, the Disney movie, The Princess and the Frog, the villain in that is basically like based off of the character Baron Samade, who is also like a Bond villain. So like that um, skull man archetype is rooted in voodoo and it's associated with the color purple. It has like a a Catholic saint counterpart. Um, And I've, I, and me as a very Scorpio heavy chart, you know, (laughs) it is, it is the confrontation with death. It's, it's the, the, the archetype, you know, he laughs at sort of like the seriousness that people give life because everybody dies. Like nobody wants to acknowledge death. So everybody dies. Yeah. So those, those spirits in voodoo are very like rambunctious um, tricksters, tr- very trickster. tricksters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they just laugh. They're like all about it's sex and death, which is totally Scorpio. So like mm-hmm. these archetypes, and I didn't know shit about astrology at the time, but like, and I also didn't know, I thought I was a Leo. That's all I knew. Um, but like the, that confrontation with that lifting of the veil and that spirit kind of like, kind of possessing me, I guess. And yeah. like scaring my pants off. Um, now I can kind of like, now I'm not scared by that guy, you know? And it's, yeah. it's not evil. Like it, it is scary and it's anything is scary when like supernatural stuff comes to you, but show. like yeah. it's, yeah, everybody, everybody's going to die. And it's like enjoy life, have fun, have sex. That's that's kind of what that spirit <laughs> is all about. And it's it's just bizarre that it's so Scorpio as well. So these archetypes are just kind of like very universal and all of these cultures are kind of playing with them. But I was not ready for that at the time, but I, you know, it just came to me and I, I had to put myself back together after it like shattered me basically. Do you have any experiences or like when you were first getting into astrology in a serious way? Did you have any experiences where the stars that, you know, your chart, your, your Zodiac, your horoscope was so accurate that you were kind of taken aback and, and maybe did that sort of get you interested in it more? It was really, it was really kind of just learning my chart <clears throat> and learning that I had a difficult chart um, that kind of made me, it, it kind of, validated a lot of my experiences and so much of the language in astrology just resonated with me. Like it's kind of easy, at least for me to understand it's based on not only like the, the four elements, air, earth, fire, water, Mm. but it's based on the seasons of the year. It's really like, uh, that's like the, the biggest teaching point is the seasons of the year. What, what is the sun doing at the time of the year? that describes the sign that is the division of the Zodiac. And with me, you know, it was just kind of like, 
in my chart in particular, there's a, a what's known as a square, which is like a 90 degree angle between a bunch of points on the chart that, and the square is a difficult thing. It's not easy. It doesn't flow well. It clashes. And it was basically just the basic idea that I have an inner clash resonated with me and kind of explained the fundamentals of my personality, which is to give it a brief explanation. I have a lot going on. I have a big square between Leo, which is summertime, the sun, the sun king, the proud lion, the center of attention, confident leadership, solo, just like cocky and out there. There is that side of me for sure. But then, and that is represented by my snowboarder. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. And like the, um, the sun, the sun is how you come off to the world. It's your ego. It's the external. It's what's radiating outwards. So, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, like I'm very like happy, go lucky and fun and positive and expressive artistic. Leo is like very artistic and creative. So that's very true. But I'm like, that's not the whole picture. There's a giant square between that and my moon and Pluto in Scorpio. So and Scorpio is like the shadows. It's the subconscious. The moon is the subconscious. The moon is the internal world. And basically that huge clash is like externally in many ways, you come off one way. And there is that side of me that's that I feel is validated by astrology. Like I do kind of like, I have a podcast. I like talking to an audience. I like having an audience. I like being on stage, whatever. But then the Scorpio side is like, I get sucked into the underworld. I get sucked down into like this shadow. It's like constant shadow work, constant like um, inner turmoil and nasty feelings. Scorpio is like the swamp. So um, that's like the fundamental. And, and a chart is like, a chart is all 12 signs and 12 different positions because a chart is a snapshot of the, the sky where it's a snapshot of the sky based on where you were at the moment you took your first breath. So a chart is really complex, but that basic, that basic kind of understanding that I have like this really solar and um, shining bright, warm side of myself clashing with my internal dark, spooky voodoo side. So like that, alone kind of was like, okay, now I can like compartmentalize my psyche a little bit and realize like, yeah, you should get on stage and you should be proud and shine your light and confident and creative and artistic and want to be the center of attention. There's nothing wrong with that, but you also have to acknowledge like all the shadow sides of yourself that are down there in the swamps of Scorpio too. And it's just bringing consciousness like astrology just forces yourself to analyze um, things that are going on in your psyche. And it, and it, if it, it makes you more, it's being unconscious of these sort of complexes doesn't help you, but bringing consciousness to them does. As far as like timing of things um, that, that definitely happens a lot. Um, especially this, this year, there's been a lot happening. You know, there's the 12 signs of the Zodiac, which everybody is all 12 signs. If you, you, your birth chart is at the 360 degree wheel with 12 divisions of it, 30 Mm -hmm. degrees each. So if people are like, Oh, I'm so Gemini, I'm just Gemini only. It's like, (laughs) no, you are the entire, like the Zodiac technically encompasses 
365 days of the year. So everything conceivable when it comes to like sunshine or what are um, seasons, like everything is encompassed within the year. So astrology aims to encompass everything within the psyche and compartmentalize it. And everybody is all 12 signs. But it is possible to have like a Gemini heavy chart, right? Like you could have Gemini. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I just say that because I think a lot of people think of astrology as one of 12 personality types and you're just one or like one of 12 freaking like Lisa Frank, like animals that are on like Instagram or like something you buy on Etsy and that's it. But it's like astrology is, is the entire sky in the heavens above you. So you, the, the top half of the wheel, the top half of the circle is everything from East to West above you. And then there's the entire underside below you as well. So it's technically from a geocentric point of view, everything that we can see from earth encircled in 360 degrees. So it's, it's supposed to be all encompassing and Mm. the 12, the 12 signs of the Zodiac are supposed to encompass everything that happens in the ups and downs of the four seasons within one year. Um, But like the omen that you're interpreting is at that moment that you were born, not only was the sun, like in your case in Capricorn, Mm. but you were born in the afternoon. So the sun was at a certain point in the sky heading towards sunset. It was, it was like post high noon. High noon is when it's at the top of the circle and kind of in the 10th house. And then because you were born after that, it's making its way towards the West, you know, let's let's back up a little bit. I have given Dan, uh, my, I've I've exposed myself to Dan. I have given, I have given Dan my, um, uh, birth time and place so he could cast a chart for me um so i guess uh let let we're going to get into some some demonstration right so i've i've asked you to take a look at my birth chart and to apply your expertise so that hopefully the listeners will get an idea of what this is all about yeah totally i don't i don't, I don't know if whether it would be helpful for me to screen share your chart itself as a visual reference for yourself or i could just kind of verbally explain what's going on it's all audio here so but you know <laughs> i don't want to show people too much about me <laughs> right yeah so so like i said earlier a chart is just a snapshot of all 360 degrees of the heavens from earth from where you were born which in your case was san diego so like this chart is based on location based on the date and time of the day and you were born at 1 p.m so basically you're like, you're born in the day. That's kind of the first division you, you start, especially from like a, a traditional um, astrological point of view. So the sun was in the sign of Capricorn when you were born. So like I was saying in my chart, how I was like, oh, my sun is my radiant light, the way I radiate things into the world, the way I express myself and the way people see me. Same thing with you. People see you. Um, your light shines through the lens of Capricorn. And what is Capricorn? Capricorn is the sign that occurs after the winter solstice. So astrology is based on the two solstices and the two equinoxes and the sign of Capricorn when you're, and this is all Northern hemisphere based because that's when that's where astrology was developed in the West. Capricorn is the time of the year where we're, where we're slowly coming out of the darkness of winter. It's still peak winter. It's still like the coldest time of the year, but it's the climb out of, you know, the dark months of 
fall, you know, so from, from the beginning of Libra season into the end of Sagittarius season, every day is getting shorter that, and, and that's kind of how, you know, all of this is based on light and the quality of light and the quality of how the sun and light brings the vibe of that time of year. And the time of year is just based on the mathematical things of the solstices and the equinoxes. So the winter solstice starts on like December 22nd. And um, the symbolism of Capricorn is the, the goat kind of ascending to the top of the mountain. Every sign is ruled by one of the planets, one of the seven traditional planets. So the ancients, you know, of the seven traditional planets, there's the sun and the moon, Mercury, Venus, um, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. An easy way to think of the seven traditional planets is the seven days of the week. So Monday is moon, Tuesday is Mars, Wednesday is Mercury, Thursday, Jupiter, Friday, Venus, Saturday, Saturn, and Sunday is the sun. And even in like Latin or um, in Spanish, you know, like Tuesday, Mars's day is Martes, Wednesday, Mercury's day is Miércoles. Like it's like the, that's like what our calendar is based on. So everybody is doing astrology based on the fact that we still have the Gregorian calendar with like the seven day week. But mm-hmm. to get back to Capricorn, when you're looking at the signs themselves, Capricorn is an earth sign. So the four elements, it's based in earth. Earth is physical. It's, it's literally your body, food, money, things that you can experience with your five senses. Um, so it's an earth sign ruled by Saturn. Saturn, the planet Saturn is the furthest visible planet that you could see with the naked eye. And it's the slowest moving because so it's the furthest out from the sun. So it moves the slowest. It takes, it takes like the moon, um, just two and a half days to move through one sign, 30 days, one month to do a full loop around the circle. It takes the sun one month to move through a sign and one year to do a full circle. It takes Saturn two and a half years to move through one sign. So Saturn is about the image of Saturn is like old father time and um, it's slow, it's cold, it's about boundaries, limitation, meet space life. If we didn't have Saturn as an archetype, there'd be no structure to anything. Saturn is structure, Saturn is slow, hard work, responsibility. So when you think of the imagery of the symbolism of Capricorn, which is your sun, you with a Capricorn sun have that kind of like Saturnian, hardworking, long run, big picture um, perspective where you're kind of inching towards a goal, slow and steady, making your way towards the top of the mountain peak. So that's your sun, your moon. So the sun is the external stuff that you're expressing and everything. Your moon, on the other hand, is um, the internal space. It's the feminine side of yourself. The sun is the masculine yang energy, and the moon is the feminine yin energy. And you, like myself, have a Scorpio moon. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting that, um, so when I'm looking at, when you look at a chart, you're looking at the wheel, the planets themselves are points on the wheel. So, your Capricorn is at 23 degrees, or I'm sorry, your sun is at 23 degrees Capricorn and your moon is at 25 degrees Scorpio. So you have a, you have what's known as a sextile between your sun and the moon. Scorpio and Capricorn are two signs away. They're both feminine elements. Scorpio is a water sign. Capricorn's an earth sign. Those are yin energies. 
So, and when they are two signs away from each other, they make a sextile. And because the sun is at 23 and the moon is at 25, that's a difference of only two degrees. So you have a, a strong sextile between your sun and the moon. So what does that mean? That basically means unlike so, myself, where I have a, a 90 degree hard angle, <laughs> I have clash between my inner and outer self. You have harmony between your inner and outer self. Yeah, so your inner say, self, hot. the sextile sounds hot. <laughs> Your inner self, like the Scorpio moon, which, you know, you're okay doing the shadow work. You're okay looking into the subconscious at the archetypes, at the spooky shit, you know, at even just the intense shit. You're, you internally are drawn to that. That's what a Scorpio moon does. Scorpio moon is difficult though. The all of all the planets have their favorite and least favorite signs to be placed in um, your, uh, your moon the moon in general doesn't do so well in Scorpio. So you have kind of an angsty, emotional, deep, like deep, you can feel the deep, dark subconscious emotions in a hard way, but that side of yourself, which is internal is actually in harmony with your external self, which is Capricorn based. So to just sum up your sun and moon, they are aspecting each other in a positive harmonious way through a sextile within Mm -hmm. two degrees. And it's like your inner self is the Scorpio. You, you want to go deep. You want to feel the the pain. Like Scorpio is kind of like um, masochistic in a way because it's like sex and death. It's the intense, raw, like libido that lies deep beneath the surface. Um, and then that is actually synced up with your ego, which is like, stoic and like i can i can do this if i just make a plan i can ascend to the top of the capricorn mountain if if i just do it one thing at a time slow and steady if i have the discipline of saturn so you have like the disciplined kind of hard working ego thing and capricorn is like the ceo of the zodiac it's very pragmatic practical and you just think of the archetype of saturn ruling this earth sign it's like tangible goal setting tangible things that's actually synced up with your inner self, which wants to go deep and wants to do the gnarly shadow work and all of that. The, so those are like a good starting point when just describing the chart in general is your sun and the moon. You're a Gemini rising. So that's very important. The rising sign is based on the time of day you were born. So you were born, like I said, at 144 in the afternoon. So Gemini is in the first house. So if at the moment you're born, when you look east, Gemini was rising in the east and the border of the eastern horizon was at nine degrees Gemini, which makes you a Gemini ascendant, Gemini rising. So Gemini is an air sign. Air is the intellect. It's ruled by Mercury. Mercury for you is in the ninth house and it's sex. It's a trining the ascendant. So like the big things that I noticed with your chart, like I said, uh, Mercury definitely stands out. Every chart based on the rising sign you say as a ruler. So because you're a Gemini rising, you're ruled by Mercury. So Mercury is the ruler of your chart. It's the most important planet. You look at the condition of Mercury and then kind of draw conclusions from that. So Mercury for you is at seven degrees Gemini and it's making a trine because they're both air elements. It's your Mercury's in Aquarius. Gemini is, um, they're both air signs. And they're within two degrees also. So because Mercury is the ruler of your chart, Mercury is the planet of communication, the, the trickster deity. It's the quick moving back and forth communication, language, media, telecommunications, the internet, stuff like that. 
and it's in Aquarius. Aquarius is like this progressive, um, rule-breaking, collectivist sign. It's also ruled by Saturn. And when, like when you have Mercury in Aquarius and Mercury is such a highlighted planet because it's the ruler of your chart and it's trying the ascendant, it's meaning that like the Mercury things for you are very important and highlighted and strong. It's directly affecting you. The ascendant point is you, the individual, and everything kind of radiates through the 12 houses from the starting point of you as the individual. But Mercury in the ninth house, which is like higher education, higher learning, foreign cultures, foreign travels. It's like the big picture house. Um, mm. Mercury there means like you want to think and communicate and study these big picture things and it's Aquarius. So it's like, not only are these big picture things, but it's like these innovative future forward thinking, unconventional rule breaking um, intellectual pursuit. And so Mercury being there in the ninth house kind of shows like, like as your chart ruler trining the ascendant in Aquarius is like, you have a really innovative mind and you really should be focusing on communication, on writing, on the internet in general. The internet is super Aquarian in general. You know, Aquarius is like this futuristic, progressive, interconnected, collectivist sign in a way. And you are like with a Mercury placed there and a Mercury highlighted like that, you are, tr it's good for you to like really go into like deep, deep, almost academic studies of, of different things and be innovative and different with it and um, mm -hmm. rebellious. So next, time, so next time people tell me I spent too much time on the internet, I can just say, I got a Mercury in Aquarius. It's just, it's just the way it is. Yeah. You say I'm, I'm a Gemini <laughs> rising with, I'm a Gemini rising with Mercury in Aquarius. So, ah. so that's extra, you know, I'm it's simply fulfilling my destiny. All right. Yeah. And, and speaking of destiny, um, so we, we covered, you know, the, um, the big three is kind of a good yeah. starting point, the sun, moon, and rising. So to review, uh, sun and Capricorn, moon in Scorpio and Gemini rising, the nodes of the moon are another kind of destiny thing. Um, those are points in the sky that are opposite on the wheel from one another always. So your South node is in Virgo at, um, 26 degrees Virgo in the fourth house. And your north node is at 26 degrees Virgo or 26 degrees Pisces in the 10th house. So you're being drawn like Virgo, uh, the south node shows what you might have past life experience with that you're done with. You already learned the lessons for it. You already experienced all that. You're, the south node is what you have experience with. So it's a good falling back point. It's a place of natural talents. It's a safe space. And the North node is what's sucking you. Like life is sucking you towards those North node subjects because it's, it's new territory. Mm -hmm. So the fourth house, the familiar space is the home, the home, the family, the, the physical home, like your actual family. It's the, it's the lowest point of the chart, the most hidden part, point of the chart, which is like the domestic, personal, private realm related to family. So it's very like the first fourth, seventh, and 10th are kind of the angular houses. The fourth house is all about home and family. The 10th house is all about public image and career. So like it or not, you're getting dragged out of the, the domestic space, the family-based space, and just being like very 
public and career oriented in one way or the other. And the sign, the sign of Pisces that the, uh, the North node is in is how it colors the 10th house. So you have a 10th house in Pisces. So not only, so your career is kind of this yin energy, psychic, psychedelic, Jupiter ruled water space, which is Pisces. So Pisces is like very empathic and wishy-washy and creative and flowing. Um, but that's somehow your career. I mean, so it, it, you have with your, with your career or just your public image in general, you have that somehow you have like an empathetic, creative Piscean color to it. And you're just getting pulled away from the domestic space and towards more public image with all of that too. The other, um, another kind of thing that immediately stands out with your chart, which is true of anybody born in this time of 1988. Like I know other people that have this. So you have Saturn conjunct your Uranus. Saturn is at 27 Sagittarius. Uranus is at 28 Sagittarius. So they're right next to each other in the sky. Saturn is the furthest out visible planet. Uranus is even further out. So Uranus is a modern addition to the astrological planets. And Uranus um, wasn't even discovered until it was discovered like around the time of the American Revolution and French Revolution. So Uranus is a revolutionary planet, a rule breaker, a disruptor, an innovator. And Saturn, like I told you earlier, is the restrictor, the heavy burden, like the slow and steady, persistent, limiting old father time force. So these two planets are very different from each other. But in your case, and from from a lot of other people that are within a few months of your birthday's case, these two planets are blending together. So there is a blending somehow of the restriction of Saturn and the innovation, the lightning bolt of Uranus. So in the in these cases, like you're both practical and conservative in a way, but also like explosive, disruptive, and innovative in a way. These planets, along with Mars, are all in Sagittarius in your seventh house. So the seventh house is relationships and partnerships too. So you kind of have, you have the most planets actually in the seventh house in Sagittarius because you have three. You have Mars at four degrees and then Saturn 27, Uranus 28. Um, those are all in the fire sign of Sagittarius, which is opposite Gemini at your ascendant. So like I said, you're Gemini rising, you're ruled by Mercury. Gemini is pretty important for your chart because of the time you were born. Opposite of you, the individual in the first house is Sagittarius in the seventh house. And the seventh house is about relationships and partnerships. So for you, I mean, I don't, I don't know how it might manifest, but relationships and partnerships have some intense energy going on in there because Mars <laughs> is in there. Mars is, Mars is the warrior planet, the aggressor, the, um, Mars makes you, Mars not only makes you like get fired up, get your ass out of bed and go to like, get going, get moving. Mars is just like forward moving, masculine, projective energy. It's also the planet that makes you get in fights. The, the planet it's a Saturn and Mars are the malefic planet. So they're more difficult. You have Saturn in that place of, of the seventh house of relationships. So that could, that could show that you might be prone to arguing in relationships or like quarreling or whatever. But then you have like what I was saying earlier, Saturn and Uranus conjunct, which is like, Uranus is that electric 
electricity and Saturn is that container where you're kind of containing the electricity. So when I was younger, I would say when I was younger, um, n- not as much as I've gotten older and uh, ho- hopefully it's something that I've grown out of. But when I was younger, I always had really volatile relationships and was always attracted to women who were really uh, chaotic. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that's, this is how astrology works. Like I, as the astrologer, I have no fuck. like we, we did, we did my show. I know, I, I know your internet persona, but I don't really know anything about you. I'm just like rambling. But like when that, when you get kind of a hit with that, you're like, okay, now I have to like, think about this. Now I have to think about, am I being aggressive or hostile or combative in relationships? Am I drawn to this like uh, Uranian crazy energy or just like, you know, all that is is important to know, but it's but all of these quote unquote difficult things are super powerful once you properly harness the energy. So, like you know, in the best case scenario, you could have like the the most exciting relationship life ever, really, with the Sagittarius seventh house with with Mars there, and then with Saturn conjunct Uranus there. That is spicy as hell. That's like fun and. And you also have, you know, you have a lot of sextiles in your chart too. So the Mars is making a sextile to your Mercury. So you can, you can kind of like use the spicy factor of Mars to communicate things. Um, You can like, you, you have, you have like some support for a lot of these kind of more intense Would you say, would you say I have a horny chart? Yeah, that, that's pretty, I mean, Mars in the seventh house is for sure horny. Um, (laughs) And it's a fire sign that's horny. Mars, the planet is for sure the horniest planet. Scorpio, right, yeah. Scorpio and Aries are the two Mars signs. So those are the two horny signs. Um, and even the moon, the moon and Pluto in Scorpio is, is horny. So it's funny. I, you know, usually they say astrology is a woman's game. And then there's a, there was a tweet I saw. I thought was really funny. It said, if a man knows his birth chart, ladies, he's ran through, right? Cause he's told, he's told so many girls about his birth chart. Yeah, it's, but anytime, anytime I've, I've, uh, anytime a woman has asked me to see my birth chart and I gave it to her, the the Scorpio Moon thing always comes up. They always like that's the thing they're like uh, maybe intrigued, but also freaked out by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, so as far as like the male female divide of astrology or like the popularity, I totally agree. Women are more into it. Like I'm sure. I'm sure it's more from interpersonal. An, it's more interpersonal. And that's, yeah. yeah, yeah. The the actual practice of it, I would say, is equally masculine and feminine because you have to, yeah. Yeah. Like like <laughs> I'm have, sitting right. You you like the 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 masculine side of astrology is like the kind of like it's almost like Asperger's-y when you really look at it. Cause you're just, just it's so data heavy and you're like in yes. my brain, my brain is just pick, visualizing charts and like numbers and angles and relationships, but that's only half the story. The other half is all the internal energies that you have to become familiar with by being self-reflective yeah. or it's, whatever. I think it's definitely both. Um, but okay. Like, uh, how to put this like big picture, big picture, right? If you're looking into, if you're looking into my birth chart, like big picture, what, what kind of things should I be most concerned about? What, what, what's, yeah, I think, um, I definitely see like success in internet things, which you are, I mean, I'm, I'm sort <laughs> of, I'm sort of cold reading you by saying that. Yes. But, the emperor is pleased with this reading. I will not. <laughs> I will not sacrifice you to the gods. But like literally, the the things that 
that stand out the most are like what I said, the seventh house. Um, be aware of the spicy, chaotic, and aggressive tendencies that you have in relationships. And, you know, for you, there's a lot. The thing that really stands out right away is the Mercury in Aquarius trining the, the ascendant. Like, do the intellectual ninth house, um, big picture academic interconnected like internet things which it seems like you already are um it's interesting too speaking back to your relationship stuff like relationships are really highlighted and they are chaotic for sure because venus is the planet like the seventh house is the house of relationships venus is the planet of the relationships venus is in the same house as mercury so same like um aquarius venus and aquarius is in the ninth house so like you need to find a partner that that uh, that is into like even like maybe like a, an exotic foreign <laughs> foreign girlfriend that's like oh, from a different cool. country, you know. Think think like big. Think like outside of your hometown. Like the ninth house is expanding into the bigger world, so that could be expanding you, by. So you're telling me if I'm like I want to move back to my hometown and just marry a girl I went to school with, you're like no, it's not going to work. If it, if it was a situation like that, you two should travel together. You sh two should study things that are foreign to what you're used to just because the ninth house is um, this like expanding outward into the larger world. So foreign cultures, exotic cultures, foreign philosophies. It's like very philosophical, very academic, very big picture. And Venus, the planet of relationships is making another sextile to that Saturn Uranus um, bottling up of, of lightning. So like, because the seventh house is the, the house of that Saturn Uranus space. And then because Venus is interacting with that and because Venus is in like the unconventional sign of Aquarius, I would recommend like, don't, I mean, don't go for a boring girl. Don't go for a run in the mill girl. And if she's boring on the surface, go for like, do exciting, expansive, big picture things. Um, relationships are, are highlighted by that for sure. And, and so I, I think like in this life, you're kind of to try to like put a big, big bow around everything. Yeah, like, please. like the communication, think communication, telecommunications, the internet, writing, speaking, do that as much as you can and put an, and, and do that in a way that it, like I said, is exotic, big picture, foreign to yourself, new, do it that way and do it in an innovative, unconventional way. Cause that's Aquarius. The, 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 you're saying the stars are telling me I must become Supreme leader of the internet. Yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> And find your queen because Venus is hanging out there. And, and also like the, the midheaven, um, the midheaven point is at 20 Aquarius in the ninth house. Usually the midheaven is in the 10th house. Cause like I said, your North node is sucking you towards the 10th house of career. So you're, be, you're actually are being sucked towards being a public figure, but the midheaven point is in the ninth house, ninth house. Like I said, foreign cultures, philosophy, expansive, big things. That's where your Mercury and Venus are. I let me ask you this. If what if what if someone had hired you to look at my birth chart specifically to engineer my downfall? What would what would be my greatest weakness, Dan? Probably hmm. Probably something related to your sun and moon because 
the, because of the houses they're in. So the stuff I told you about the sun and the moon, your ambition um, is the sun, like ambition, persistence, um, CEO vibes, um, <laughs> and then your internal Scorpio shadow work. Those are in the eighth and sixth houses. So those are kind of the most quote unquote negative. So I think also, so the Jupiter, Jupiter here is in Aries in the 11th house of friends and community and networks. Mm-hmm. So I feel like your downfall could be um, an inflated ego fueled by popularity. <laughs> or uh, when I get too many followers, damn. Or even, um, or something related to like the, your daily grind. The sixth house is the daily grind. It's also health and nutrition. So like the, I feel like, like I told you, you're in, you're down for the shadow work. You're down for the, the intense raw Scorpio stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that could be your downfall. If somehow your health goes, like I could see you being a hypochondriac maybe, or mm-hmm. like having being a workaholic or something where like the daily grind or the poor nutrition or something is exacerbated by emotional turmoil and it just like throws you off and you get they sick have a maybe attack or something. Yeah. Okay. And it, and it would be related to just the daily grind and having just like this workaholic or like poor health, poor, like taking care of yourself could be a downfall. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, or, or, or also all the stuff we said about relationships being, you know, too spicy too spicy with, with relationships or like going for someone too hostile or too crazy. (laughs) Those are probably the, the, um, downfalls. I've never been asked that question though. I really like, like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like that's the, (laughs) like you said, I want to get into the dark side. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's, for you, it's the sixth house. The the sixth house and eighth house are concerning because those are di- six, eight, and twelve are all difficult. Uh, the 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 hard houses, and from like an ancient point of view, like if you read ancient texts, they would be like, this sixth house, you know, you're doomed for this, or the eighth house, you're doomed for that. Um, but in then in modern woo woo, it's like, no, it's not doom. It's it's all love. It's all light and. I fall somewhere in between. Like it's not, it's, it's a little bit of both, but so this is, this is something that I always thought was kind of funny about like ancient and modern astrology. From what I understand ancient astrology is built on the worldview that everything is predestined. And so it's like, it's not that the stars are like touching you with their energy. It's just that because everything is predestined, you know, the, the events of your life naturally align with the movement of the stars and the planets. It's all a casual. It's not, it's, it's not like, um, it's not some, uh, pseudoscience thing where like energy is is touching you from these planets or something like that but then in modern astrology it's supposed to be like you can learn these things and undo your fate or change your fate it's like electional astrology you can you can pick a good time to start something this sort of thing it's a little bit more positivistic what i always think is funny is that with like the new age stuff you can kind of cross streams a little bit because if you believe in positive thinking and new thought and this type of stuff then wouldn't it be that like the people who believe in astrology are manifesting astrology? They're making it real just because precisely because they believe in it. And just like the people who don't believe in it are making it unreal and that sort of thing. It seems like in the modern world, there were like, you know, 
new age stuff. It just seems like you uh, astrology can be as porous as anything else. Yes, it's um, everything you said is is true. Like the ancients did kind of view things as predestined, and what you were saying that they it's not causal. It's not like the energy is beaming down from Mars because it was in the Western horizon about to set at the time of your birth. It's more like a clock. Like when the clock is set and it's ticking, it's moving. The hands on yeah. the clock are moving. The, the, the hands on the clock being correct in that it's 12 noon don't cause it to be 12 noon. They correlate to it being 12 noon. There's no causation at all, but you read the clock and it is true. It's 12 noon. You know, the sun at 12 noon is at high noon, you know, it's at the top of the sky. So I, t- I, I don't, and my answer is I don't freaking know. <laughs> I, I told you in the beginning how open I am to the esoteric and the occult magic, the woo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not skeptical of that because I've had many personal experiences with it. I am skeptical of astrology though, because I don't understand it. And there have been many, many validating um, experiences where things do line up, where astrology gives me the perfect answer at the perfect time, Mm. um, the perfect amount of relief when I'm going through something, but I have no freaking clue how it works. All I do is, is babble when I, especially when I'm giving a reading, like I've just, I'm just rambling, telling you stuff. I have no freaking clue whether or not it's accurate or whether or not it's resonating. And I just hope it does. And I hope it's helpful, but I'm like, always doubting it, unfortunately. And there's so many different ways to look at it, but it, it, if I were to try to explain how I see it, it's, it is like a clock on the wall where it's not causing, it's not energy like affecting us in some weird physical way. It's like, we live in the meat space above us in some like other layer of reality. There is archetypal energies just like swirling around and changing as changing on time. Like I think it, it points to like an ordered cosmos for sure. And, but it's, it's an extreme mystery. The only, like the thing that's just valuable about it, I think is it forces self-reflection. It forces you to bring awareness and consciousness to your patterns Mm. and, and your complexes. And like, it gives you answers at the right time. Like this winter I was going through like a, basically I caught COVID and had like a horrible experience with it was suffering. And just like, I was just like, what the fuck is happening to me? And, and even though I knew stuff was happening to me, like I knew ahead of time that my chart was going to be activated when I was in the thick of it, I was just like, wait a minute, this started two days ago this is coming up a week from today. I've got to get ready for that. And then suddenly you have a really clear timeline. And in that case with me, everything works so according to plan to a T. And I wasn't trying, like I wasn't trying to make it work. I'm never trying to make it work. It never works on your terms. It like the universe happens to you and you can, if you have the language of astrology, you can bring some relief to yourself and like bring consciousness to the good or the bad stuff that's happening to you. Like, mm-hmm. and so it makes the bad stuff way easier to deal with and it makes the good, it makes you appreciate and celebrate and embrace the good stuff when that's happening to you. And just the the thing that's true about it, it like 
the layout of the Zodiac is true. The energies that I describe of Capricorn, right? Like, you know, the month after the winter solstice, Mm -hmm. that vibe is on that. the, The symbolism is in alignment with the vibe of the world around us at that time of the year in the Northern hemisphere, at least. And so everything within it is true, but like the predictive stuff, the accuracy of a birth chart reading, all of that is honestly, I'm very skeptical of, and I, I wish I wasn't, but I just <laughs> am. So, well, there's some stoicism to it then. It's interesting. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it, and it came to be in a very, when stoicism was coming to be because it came right. like, and that's another thing, all of these, um, the symbolism like Aries being assigned to the beginning of the spring equinox, that was true around year one, like one AD or whatever. It's not true today. So this is not based on the constellations. So that's, that even further dismisses like, oh, it's like the energy of the, like, you know, the, the star in the eye of Gemini or whatever, like beaming down and like connecting with the planet Venus or whatever. It's like, this is a layout of the, the year it's a tropical zodiac so it's based on the equinox equinoxes and solstices it's seasonal based so it's based on the earth it's based on the energy we experience around these times of year so everything i told about you being a scorpio is based on the time of year that's scorpio when all the leaves have fallen when every when it's mm-hmm. halloween when everybody's goth and depressed <laughs> And the symbolism of Capricorn is after the holidays are finally over and people are starting to get their life back together and starting to think serious and taking a slow route towards the spring months, you know, it's based on the seasons and those archetypes are valid in my opinion, but like whether or not anything, any astrologer interprets is true or accurate. I have no idea. Like it's not scientific. It's not to a T it's just like, a language it's a sync it's kind of like a synchronicity and i think the only way it works is because of the way the cosmos is just so interconnected and it i know it it totally drives like rational scientific people crazy right, because because right. they they don't deal with that but it's like this is basically like a cycle it is spiritual it is real in my opi- opinion and experience but it's it's not like phys- it's not 3D. It's like it's five. Not, it's, it's not 4D. real in the way we're used to dealing with real. Yeah, and it's it's real on an internal way, like where you you have it's 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 your inner reality that's kind of being spoken of here, and it's, a, it's own little cosmos. Okay. And even and the, like, there's no scientific way to kind of. I mean, maybe there is, but like, you don't scientifically kind of analyze person personality types or tendencies or even like some of the things i was telling you Mm. you know that you like spicy wild relationship experiences (laughs) like how does science even explain that they can try really hard but essentially it's your inner consciousness that's like driving you that way or whatever and Mm -hmm. all of this is it's just not it's not science so it's not science and that's okay (laughs) yeah all right, Dan, thank you so much, man. It has been an epic episode. It's been an odyssey that you've taken me on, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank um, you for having me. Shout outs. Do you give private readings? Where can people find you? What's the name of your podcast again? Any and all of it. Yeah, um, for private readings, you can just email me at cosmickeyspodcast at gmail.com. Um, the, the name of the podcast is the Cosmic Keys Podcast. I give 
I do interviews. I just literally today released my interview with you. Mm-hmm. So check that out. It's, it's different than what we talked about today, but it's super, I was super happy with how that discussion went. Um, but yeah, my show covers a lot of the woo and I do give weekly astrology forecasts where it's like the weather of the week. So that's like a different application of it. It's like, Hey, this week's a full moon or this week's an eclipse or this week Mercury goes retrograde or, or Jupiter changes signs or whatever. So that's another way astrology works is it's kind of always happening. Like the chart, the real time chart is always shifting, turning, the planets are slowly moving. So astrology is always happening and astrologers like myself kind of, because we know the timing of things, we say, Hey, this week, this is, this energetic thing is happening to planet earth on Tuesday or whatever. So that's what my show kind of covers is like the weather report of astrology. Um, so yeah, check that out. Cosmic keys podcast. And yeah, that's about it. All right, man. Can I get a stay cosmic? Stay cosmic. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thank you.